Sox fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the Ducks and Pucks podcast, and obviously I am not Mike. Mike's on vacation, so I've got Patrick from the Puck Guys here, and he's going to join us for this show, and we're going to just talk about the Ducks preseason for a bit. We're going to review what the Ducks season is going to look like, You know, who's going to make the roster, what the injuries mean for the Ducks lineup, and, and all that kind of stuff, and you know, we've got a lot of other stuff on tap here. We're going to talk about the, the kneeling for the anthem and, and how that's affecting players in the NHL. We've got a couple other topics that we're going to cover, but we'll get to that when we get there. So starting off with the Ducks preseason, it's been a kind of mixed bag of, of hockey so far. You know, they they opened up, lost 5 nothing to San Jose, lost pretty bad to Arizona, moved on and, and, and played some decent games. And, and now here we are tonight. The game actually is on right now. The last preseason game versus L.A. And, and it's been interesting, Patrick. I, I mean, it, it's... You know, it it hasn't been the best hockey, but we haven't seen really a full lineup so far either. No, it's been um, it's been pretty sporadic for the Ducks. And by the way, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, the Ducks, where well, they're heading in three three now into into tonight's last preseason game. Um, yeah. You have it's just they're not scoring goals. That was the biggest concern for me when I was watching these games. I went to the uh, the Vegas game. They just looked like they just couldn't get anything going. Um, and then they had that come from behind, uh, the, the classic comeback kids come around for the next game in Arizona. They came back and won that 6-4. But um, I guess the biggest concern for me, I like watching analytics a lot too, is they just keep getting caved in 5-on-5. Uh, five five. Like they just they don't look like they have that control. But then again, like you said, it's a, it's a, a not a full lineup. It's not a opening night lineup. Yeah, and, and the thing too to look at is, I mean, we've only got two guys. You're talking about scoring goals. We've got two guys in, in the four or five games that some of these guys played who've only scored two goals, and that's Raquel and Nick Ritchie. And there's a lot of guys who are left off the score sheet. We've got guys who are probably not even going to make the team that are on the score sheet. And, and it's kind of like I said before, it's a mixed bag. And, and we've played some teams that have fielded a team that looks like what they're going to start the season with. And then we played a game against Arizona, who it looked like it was their B team, and, and the same thing with Vegas, and, and they didn't look too good in that one. And it, I mean, it's it's always hard to gauge off preseason games what they're going to look like. And you know, we saw last year the Ducks were awful in the preseason, and they come out and, and they end up scraping their way to winning another Pacific Division title. So it, it's hard to take this and say this is what the season's going to look like, but... You know, it, it, it's it's tough. I mean, we we'll look tonight, and and again, it's another you know scattered roster. Guys, uh, Saborn got called up today. He's going to make uh, probably play. You know, guys like Getzlaff, we don't know if he's going to start. And it, it it's just tough right now to to look at this team and really judge what kind of product they're going to put on the ice come the first game of the season. I mean, the good thing about that though is is nobody hands out trophies uh, in in preseason, and no one really no one remembers what your record was uh, when yeah. you get to the Cup final, you get to the playoffs. So it's not like this is a death nail. Uh, it's not like it's a it's like the end of the end of you know uh, their season. They're just getting ready to start. I, and the Ducks have notoriously had um, season after season of bad starts in October, going winless. I mean, just hor- horrific Octobers, as Ducks fans would understand. You don't want to see that happen again. But they're also getting another fresh start. This is the first time since I can remember they're starting off the season with a homestand. So I'm not all that concerned about preseason. I mean, yeah, sure, get the win, beat the Kings. Everybody wants that. Um, but, I mean, I'm really looking forward to opening night. 
uh, next Thursday against the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, and and that's where it starts, really. I mean, there, there are some positives you have to look at from preseason. I mean, I mean, Nick Ritchie's play has been pretty good. He's obviously leading the team currently in points with four points in 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 five games. It's not great, but it's it's a step forward, and he's a guy who's going to have to make another step forward this season, especially with Kessler out and you know Raquel playing at center, which seemingly looks like he's going to uh, probably center uh, a line with Cogliano and Silverberg on his wing. So we, you know, that's going to have to be a catalyst for offense. And then you've got guys like Giovanni Fiore and uh, Cali Casilla who, who are possibly going to make the team and, and what kind of role that they're going to play. So it, it really is interesting to see who's going to, where is this offense going to come? Is, is Perry going to come back? Is, is Getzloff going to drive the offense right now? I, it's very hard to tell where it's going to come from. I think it has to come uh, from Getzloff. He's, he's been just a force uh, looking back into the second half of uh, the season last year into the playoffs. Um, he's going to have to to really push this team forward offensively, especially with uh, a lot of the play deriving from the Ducks blue line with Lindholm and Vaughton, and they're, they're not available now until beginning of November. Um, and then you're a little weak down center. I mean, I know that they're going to slot Raquel on there, but nobody's really seen what he's done at an NHL level. So it'll be interesting to see how the Ducks slot one, two, who's going to be taking those D zone draws and pushing the play out. I, th- I really hope that uh, that Raquel's able to keep up that scoring touch because we're going to get a real good feel on who drove that bus last year on the second line with Kessler missing. Is it, is it Kessler that everyone, you know, the, sec- the Selkie um, Award nominee, or is it uh, Cogliano and Silverberg retrieving those loose pucks and creating chances? I'm really curious to see where that goes. Yeah, and really, I mean, he had a great season last year. Obviously, he'll play the majority of it on the wing, and that's a contributing factor to why he had so many goals last year and was very limited in the assist department, and I think we're going to see a shift in that this year, especially if he's going to play center up until Christmas with Kessler out and maybe even play center continuing into the second half of the season into the playoffs. It really all depends on how well he fits in that role, and you also got to look at guys when we're talking about forwards here. You know, can Patrick Eves do what he did last year? Uh, I mean, that was an anomaly for him. He doesn't do that every season. That's the first season where he's gotten over 30 goals. So, you know, can he do that again? And and can Nick Ritchie step up? And, you know, I, I know a lot of people were disappointed to see Sam Steele and, and Max Jones go down. So, you know, there's some guys here that are going to have to step up. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see who, who can actually do that. I, I know a lot of people are, are putting... Uh, some pressure on Andre Kasha to step up and, and play well. So, you know, there's there's a lot of what ifs, and I think that's at least for the offense, that's the scary part to look at right now. Is you know, what if Perry doesn't come back and score 30 goals? What if Patrick Eves has a slump and, and goes back to his regular offense? What if Kasha and, and uh, Richie don't make another step forward? It, it's ominous to look at at the beginning of the season. I mean, look, uh, Getzloff. And uh, and Eves are gonna, I think, gonna be paired together um, until it doesn't work. And it worked really well last year, so I think they're really looking to Eves to being that guy, um, basically uh, the Kunitz to Crosby situation over in Pittsburgh. That you know, I mean, Crosby made Kunitz boatloads of money uh, by sitting there with a stick on the ice and chipping the puck in, right? Um, not to take anything away from Kunitz, but just just that comparison to me is what that is. The Ducks are hoping stays because you're right. I mean, Patrick Eves was a 15, 18 goal scorer for the first decade of his career, all of a sudden has a great year in Dallas, gets traded to the Ducks and continues that clip. Um, but I think the the biggest question for me, though, is, is Corey Perry. Um, he's at that age and is in his early 30s right now where, where scoring tends to dip. Um, he's still putting up all the shots on goal that he's been doing in prior seasons, but he's just not scoring at that rate. It's going to be interesting to see how that moves because – 
I mean, I, I want to say Bob Murray said he had an MCL injury, but there was no real word on that. He didn't miss any games that he played in the playoffs. Um, he scored overtime goals. Uh, he didn't look injured, maybe, right? I mean, we don't know if he was, but it's weird for them to say he had a knee injury and not have any kind of medical treatment to it that came out about it. Like, he, he didn't miss games, and and uh, his scoring was down. So maybe that's the case. Maybe he's better. But uh, Perry's the big question mark on me. I'll, I really hope he turns it around. But there's been a lot of Ducks fans have already turned against the guy and, and are, are worried that he's done and needs to hang him up. But I, I don't think that's that's the case. I think he's still good for 25 goals this year. Yeah, and, and that's the interesting part of his situation. I mean, if he was four years younger, we wouldn't be arguing saying, oh, is he getting too old? And, oh, this is just a season where he was off. I mean, his numbers from this season and last season – or from sorry, from last season and the season before – we're almost similar. He had almost the exact same amount of shots. You know, he he had the, close to the same amount of chances created, just less goals and, and obviously more assists. And, and you know, is that a season where maybe his shooting percentage dipped down below the average, and now it's going to jump back up, and he's going to get twenty five, thirty goals this season, or is he at that point, like you said, where now you know he's thirty two? Is he is he going to start slumping as goal scores stop scoring as many goals around this age and it keeps going down for for most guys especially guys who play the game the way Corey Perry does so I mean it's going to be a key part of their offense this year if if he can't get things going and and he really is trending downwards and he's going to go around 19 15 goals this year some guys are going to have to come up and get goals and we saw Kasha did that last year and he came up and he made a big difference and and obviously Eves came in and, and Richie had a better season but yeah, you're right. I mean, Perry is the Perry and Getzlaff are still the driving forces of this team, and if one of them is slumping again this season, I mean, the Ducks still might scrape their way to another Pacific Division title, no matter what. But you know, come playoffs, if he can't perform, you know, that's going to be another hurdle for the Ducks to overcome. Do you think? Um, do you think Nick Ritchie has what it takes right now uh, to, to to step up and provide those goals? I know people were seemingly disappointed in, but myself included, Lester, I thought he was going to be. Um, I guess a little more offensive last season. I thought that he would develop quicker. I, I'm not saying that he's a bad player, but do you think maybe the Ducks have, a, have too much pressure on him and are pushing him to this role too quickly, or do you think he's right about where he should be? You know, last season at the beginning, I when I, we did our podcast, we were talking about who's going to take a step forward this year. I was like, okay, Nick Ritchie is a guy who can probably score 20, 25 goals with the shot that he has. And to be honest, I, you know, I was impressed that he made a step forward. But I don't think he made as big a step forward as we had hoped from a guy who was a 10th overall pick in a pretty good draft. Uh, and now this season, you know, again, we're looking at him to take another step forward and, and do what we expected from him last season. And and honestly, I don't know. Um, I think he's made the right strides. You know, he, he's lost a little bit of weight. He's, he's leaned up a bit more. He seems to have a little bit of more fo- uh, foot speed, more confidence. You know, it's shown in preseason. He, he's done pretty well. He's obviously been one of the Ducks' best players in preseason. Uh, but can that carry over into the season? And, you know, he's going to get a permanent line mate most likely during the season. And, and I think a lot of his success depends on who he gets paired up with because he's either going to be centered by Ryan Getzlaff or Antoine Vermette, realistically. And I think, obviously, if he gets paired with Ryan Getzlaff, that's going to be a catalyst for success than getting paired with Antoine Vermette and most likely Andre Kasha on, on his right wing. He's going to be asked to do a lot more on that line than he would be on a line with Ryan Getzlaff where, like you said, he can just go to the net and put pucks in the net and, and have a stick on the ice. So I, I think that's a big factor, but I am worried. I, I don't know if he can take that step yet. I have some hopes, but you know it, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to see him 
being a real driving force for this Ducks offense yet. Yeah, it's it just it's a bummer we have to talk about it like that because yeah. of, the, of the injury bug on the team that we have to go. Oh, is he going to do? Is he going to do it? Whereas if this team was 100 percent healthy, he would be a great addition, and it wouldn't maybe not so much uh, pressure on him offensively. But I mean, given the situation, we kind of have to put him there. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the same thing goes for the defense as well. I, I mean, Lindholm and Vaughn are out until November. And we're looking at guys like Brandon Montour, who had a great playoffs last year, but didn't play a full season with the Ducks. Coming up now, he's going to have an even bigger role with a guy like Shea, Shea Theodore going to Vegas and the, the whole debacle that happened there and trying to keep guys like Sammy Vaughn in around. So now there's a big pressure on him to be a top four defenseman. And a guy like Jacob Magna or probably, uh, possibly Jakob Larson is a guy that's going to have to step up until those two guys get back. And, and to me, this this is probably the most interesting part of the whole Ducks start to the season is how is this defense going to shape out? Knowing Bob Bob Murray and, and Randy Carlisle, we're probably going to see a Bochum and PX pairing at some point, and we're all going to want to kill ourselves because they're they're going to be just ridiculous to watch on the ice together. But it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what kind of happens. Obviously, Cam Fowler is going to be the workhorse, but from there on, it, you know, somebody's going to have to step up. Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to go with a uh, with a Fowler Manson, right? I mean, that's those yeah. are your top guys, but um, I think. Carlisle, they they gave Larson a good look last year. I think he played some NHL games, uh, and he's definitely going to be making the team this year by all accounts just due to injury, and they're going to need him to to play in that role. Uh, Montour, he had just a heck of a playoff, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to this team. But going back to to Shea Theodore, and you mentioned Sammy Votnin, um, I wonder what this team would have looked like if they would have let Votnin go. And and kept Shea Theodore and keep the the uh, the younger defenseman who I think has a lot of value. I think Vegas got a great deal out of that. I mean, granted they had to take Stoner, um, but uh, Shea Theodore is no slouch. I think he's going to play well there. Um, I'm I'm not totally sold on Sammy Votnin being a top four guy. So uh, when he comes back, obviously he's going to take precedence over a guy like Hol- like Holzer or Magna or Larson. But um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting too with Boschman. I think that's another one coming back, and uh, who's going to be paired with who to to, uh, to kind of make up for the the foot speed on those lines. Yeah, and really that's why I want to see a guy. I think most people too want to see a guy like Jakob Larson make the team. And it, it really I, before this preseason, if you had asked me, I would have said it, it's almost a lock. I think this guy has to make the team. You know, he he had a tryout, a minimal tryout at the beginning of last season. He looked pretty good went over to Sweden, played there, and then, you know, he, he has to be ready this year, and, and he's looked okay in preseason, hasn't really stood out, you know, that's why it's a question right now, and, and I think, you know, it's one we kind of have to ask, like, for you, who do you think is is more ready, or who do you think can take the, the next step forward for the Ducks? Do you think it's Jakob Larson? Do you think it's Jacob Magna? Do you think it's it's maybe a guy who got sent down like Andy Walensky? Uh, I mean, who do you think really has to step up and, and be a kind of a similar impact to what Montour had to the Ducks in the second half of last season. I think it's got to be Larson. I think he needs to be ready. Um, he's a big body defenseman. I know that Randy Carlisle likes him. Um, and I think that uh, he's probably the most, um, well, the word I'm looking for, um, the most nourished coming up through the system and, and getting ready to play. I, I like Megna too, but I think Larson's going to be the guy to step in. And, and I don't really take preseason, although I know it's needed. I don't think uh, that preseason is the tell-all. I think we'll see what happens when uh, when opening night comes around and how, when the season gets started. But I think Larson's going to make that jump, and I, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I think he's kind of the guy that best fills 
the the shoes that Hampus Lindholm is leaving behind with his injury. I mean, he's a he's a offense driving, you know, he's puck moving defenseman more so than Jacob Magna, who who is you know for a big guy for a guy who's six six, he can move the puck pretty well. But when you look at Jakob Larson, he's more of a guy that is in that mold and is something the Ducks are obviously missing, especially with with not just Lindholm but Vaughton out of the lineup as well. So now you've got Montour has to step up in Vaughton's role. Somebody other than Fowler has to st- step up and replace Lindholm. And, and if anybody can do it, it, it has to be Jakob Larson because we're not going to see Boschman or BX or Holtz or step up and, and fill that role. You know they're valuable depth guys. When they're positioned right in the lineup, but you know it'd be it's going to be interesting to see where they go from there, and, and then you got to look at goaltending too. I, I mean, I think the Ducks took a major step forward from last year. Not to put anything on Bernier, I mean, great during the regular game season. Game five, game six, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what everybody <laughs> looks at now too. Guy was great during the regular season, saved the team when when Gibson was out. Game five, game six, he comes around, awful. A lot of people blame the reason the Ducks are out of the playoffs on him. I tend to agree with that at, at that one game. So, But now you've got Miller, one of the great U.S. goaltenders. Now he's behind one of the best young U.S. goaltenders in John Gibson. I think he can really push Gibson to the next level. Uh, obviously, he is a better goaltender than Jonathan Bernier. I think he provides a little bit more competition to Gibson, but I think he provides that mentoring, that motivation, that familiarity that can really push Gibson, hopefully, to the next level that we've really been waiting for. I agree. Um, I'm really happy about this, and they, I've even I was I was uh, hearing about John Gibson um, getting a lot of uh, flack from the team um, about being injured, and so I guess he went to Vancouver and, and uh, had some specific training on how to not injure your knee, injure your groin, hips. Um, just to better prepare himself for the season because, you know, he's been very injury-prone in his professional career. And I think Ryan Miller is uh, just just a great guy to have behind Gibson. He knows his role. He's not there trying to take Gibby's job. He's there to push him and show him how to be, you know, an NHL goaltender, a, a starter. And he knows all about it. He's done it himself for years. Um, I think it's a great move by the Ducks. He's happy here, too. It's not like he got moved here unwillingly. He gets his family here in L.A., his wife's an actress in Hollywood, so that works out great for him as well. So I think having a guy who's comfortable and wants to be here and wants to help out rather than try to take a job is going to just do Gibby wonders. I think it's going to be a, a great season for Gibson and Miller. Yeah, and really, Gibson, at the end of the season, he had top five numbers in, in save percentage and goals against 100%. average. And and he was one of the, the top five goaltenders in the league. You know, Obviously, there were some guys who were way above the Bobrovsky, Holtby, Price, Dubnik, they were in a league of their own last year, but Gibson was right behind those guys, and I really think you know this year he has to make that jump. We've been waiting for so long for Gibson to to take the number one role and run with it, especially when when Freddie was shipped to Toronto. You know, we're like, this is Gibby's year. He's going to take this and run with it. Then the injury happened. Bernier stepped in. Hard for Gibson to come back in and win that role. Obviously, playoffs came around, and it was a little easier for to, for him to do that. But you know, do you think this is the year he has to? prove that he's a top five top 10 goaltender in the nhl before they you know not necessarily look elsewhere but before they start worrying if if he's going to pan out like they expected yeah you don't want to have i mean i hate to beat on the guy but you don't want to have another hiller in that right you don't want to have all this expectation and disappointment um after a couple of great seasons i think that gibby does have to take that next step and have to prove himself um the great thing about goalies is is they take a while to age. Uh, they usually get better with age into their late 20s, and Gibby's still young, and he's, he's putting up great numbers. Um, 
he's got to take it. I think he's going to take it. I think this is the year he does it, especially having that mentorship and Ryan Miller behind him, not worried about taking his job. Yeah, and, and if he doesn't, I mean, we're going to have to hear about if we had have kept Freddie, would we be better off? I, I really don't want to hear more of that this season, so I'm hoping he takes a step forward so we kind of can put that behind us. But you know it's going to come up. If he does bad and Miller has to step in and take the starter's role, the Freddie talks are going to start really gaining popularity among the fans. Oh, man, I was one of them. I was the one on on, uh, on our show. I said, you know, if you're looking for trade value, you got to trade Gibby and keep Freddie, right? That's what I thought the Ducks should have done. Um, obviously, I'm okay with the way it went, and Freddie's happy in Toronto now, it looks like, uh, with those those crazy young guns on that team. But I think Gibby fits in well in Anaheim, and uh, I don't think it's going to be a disappointing season. I think you're going to see a lot of the same numbers as, as we did last year, hopefully less injuries. Yeah, exactly, and that's really key to to him having a good season is he he can't get injured this year. He has to play 60, 65 games. Obviously, Miller is a quality goaltender. He can make more starts if necessary, but I think for Gibson to really step into his own, he's got to play at least 55 games, maybe 60, and really take the reins as a number one goaltender, especially with a, a suitable backup behind you. He has to make sure that every night he goes on the ice and shows why he deserves to start each night, and, and you know, Miller's going to push him, and and I think it, it's going to be key to the Ducks' success. Obviously, good goaltending wins championships. You see it with the Penguins the last two times. Murray's been unbelievable for them, and, and Gibson's in that same field and a young American goaltender. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. And we've we've kind of focused on the whole team now, forwards, defense, and goaltending, and we can really put it all together. Where do you think the Ducks are going to finish in the Pacific Division this year? Do you think they're going to scrape their way to another Pacific Division title? They're going to scrape into the playoffs? Where do you think that it's going to pan out there? Well, I I wish they were Stanley Cup banners, but I think the Ducks are going to get their sixth Pacific Division title. And I just, I, I'm not worried about this team in the long haul. I'm a little sketchy in the first couple of months. But, you know, the Pacific Division, other than the Coyotes, really didn't add anything affordable to their teams uh, to make them more competitive than they were last year. Uh, the Kings haven't really done anything. Uh, the Sharks lost Marlowe. They didn't really add any scoring. Uh, Vegas is Vegas. I'm not worried about them. Yeah, they beat us up in preseason, but that's preseason. Vancouver is just a tire fire. Not really concerned about them. The Coyotes, you know, I would I would say they took a pretty good step by getting Derek Stepan, um, and they upgraded their goaltending. But um, I'm not really worried. I think the Ducks are going to have, and this is such you know a homer thing to say, but they're going to wrap up the division. I really do. Barring significant injury, which you could say for any team, this team is as good as it gets in the Pacific Division. Yeah, and you're right. Nobody really has improved in the, the Pacific Division other than Arizona. I mean, like Vancouver, they're most likely going to battle Vegas for the bottom of the division. LA, I think they're going to probably continue to regress from what they have last season. I think San Jose is going to take a bigger step back this year. Obviously, they've still got Brent Burns, Martin Jones, but Thornton's getting older. Like you said, Marlowe's not there anymore. They don't really have a lot of young guys other than Timo Meyer really stepping up and taking the reins from, from some of the veterans in that team. And then you really I guess I should have said the Oilers. <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah. That's, <laughs> I should have included them in the conversation. Yeah, They're that, right there, but I yeah, think the exactly. still have the edge. Well, when you look at the Oilers, too, obvious Connor McDavid is going to lead the way for them. Dry settles there. They've, they've got PRV still in the minors. Yamamoto's been their best player in preseason, and he might even make a starting role. So they've got all this offense up there. And, and 
again, the question for them comes down to defense. You look at Clefbaum and, and you look at Larson and, and seeing if they can do that. But I think the big issue for them is, is can Cam Talbot do what he did last year? And I honestly don't he think played he played 75 can. games. Yeah, he played in a yeah. ridiculous amount of games and he was unreal for, for the majority of the season. Can he do that? I don't know. If Connor McDavid gets injured, can the Oilers continue to play at that top level? And, and that's no. an if, but I know they can't. And that's pretty much like for most teams, that's the same. If their star player gets injured, they can't continue to play that well. But I think for the Oilers, it's even higher than that. So I think there's a lot of what ifs, and I think there's some things that they just can't continue to play. And and, and again, that's why I think the Ducks are, like you said, are going to wrap up the division. And it obviously seems a lot pretty biased coming from us, but you know I, I think there's a reason Vegas had the uh, odds on favorites to have the most points in the NHL. Um, I think the Ducks improved on the, the team they had last year. Obviously, losing Theodore is difficult, but they you know they improved in goaltending. I think they improved up front by by re-signing Eves and and hopefully Richie and Kasha and some other guys can step forward. But yeah, I mean, I only the only team I see really challenging them is Edmonton and, and maybe Calgary to some degree if they can get something going and Mike Smith can have an unbelievable season. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of what ifs around the other teams and you look at the ducks and you know, once they get everybody back healthy, they're, they're going to be pretty hard to beat. That was my problem with Calgary. They have a great top four. Uh, of course, Johnny Goudreau uh, leading the offense there and their top four D's is maybe right up there with Anaheim's defenseman. Um, but they're goaltending. I just I don't understand the acquisition of Mike Smith. Um, I think I believe Eddie Locks is his backup. Uh, I, I've really pegged Mike Smith as being a goaltender that should probably not be a starter anymore, along with the guys like a guy like Cam Ward over in Carolina. So I don't know what is going on with that goaltending situation, but that's why I'm not too concerned with the Calgary Flames. I'd be shocked if they were players for a division title. Um, but. Edmonton, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but Drysaddle got a lot of money uh, for yeah. one great year, yeah. and he's got. I mean, that's 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 big boy money. That's play on your own line. That's center your own line. That's not riding shotgun to Connor McDavid. Um, and no disrespect to Drysaddle, but uh, he's really got to prove that he can do that for for the Edmonton Oilers. Otherwise, they're not going to be nearly as dangerous as people uh, are perceiving him to be. In my opinion, I mean, he's got a lot of pressure to do that now. Yeah, there's just a lot of gambles involved with the Edmonton Oilers once again this season. And really the only sure thing is that Connor McDavid is going to be one of the best players in the NHL. And then from there on, you don't really know what's going to happen in that team. And I completely agree with you with Mike Smith. I mean, when you have a guy out there in the offseason that Dallas acquires Ben Bishop, and obviously there's a lot of things surrounding that. Maybe he wanted to go there over Calgary. But when you're a team that really all you need right now is goaltending in the Calgary Flames, why do you not go get Scott Darling and sign him? But, you know, he obviously ends up going to Carolina. Why don't you go get Ben Bishop? But they end up getting Mike Smith. Even Brian Elliott was out there. And I know he was with Calgary last season. But, you know, is is Mike Smith really an upgrade on Brian Elliott? I, I, it's hard I to don't say think he so. is. And for a team that, like you said, the 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 young top top six they have is very good, and they've added to a very good defense in adding Travis Hamonic, and they have Dougie Hamilton, Giordano, and and they've got a lot of young guys. But why not take a look at Gillies in their system for goaltender? Why not take a look at at Tyler Parsons, even if they're not ready? Why not have them in as a backup? and then possibly move them in front uh, of a guy. Like, just keep Brian Elliott around. And if he does bad again, then bring in a young guy and see how they do. They're, they're a young team. They they can take the next step forward. But I don't know. It, I mean, I'm not, I'm not privy on, on their cap situation, but Marc-Andre Fleury said that he would have yeah. uh, waived his clause to go to Calgary. 
Yeah, it, like, I mean really? it's typical for for the Flames. I mean, they they seem to have had goalie issues for as long as I can remember. They've never since Kippersoff left. Pretty much, I was they just going to say had, ever since Kipper left. Yeah, they haven't had a guy who can come in and really play a solid role for them. And and I don't know if that's poor drafting or just poor management and and or lack of goaltenders available. But this season. Uh, over any other season, there seemed to be at least a couple decent starters available or, or a guy who could possibly be another Cam Talbot this season and Scott Darling they could have acquired. There's a lot of better options out there, really, than Mike Smith. And, and maybe Mike Smith proves everybody wrong and comes out and, and plays ama- plays amazing with the Flames, but he's playing in the same division. You know, he's, he's, you're going to see a lot of the same guys he saw when he was in Arizona. Uh, and right. you know, there's nothing real different going on here, and I don't think Calgary's defense is that much better that he's going to all of a sudden be a top ten goaltender. So I don't know what they're really figuring that is going to happen. I'm with you there, man. That's why I said Ducks. I mean, like you said, of course, us we pick Anaheim to t- to wrap that division, but I, I don't see anybody else competing other than the Oilers. But I still think the Ducks get by him. Yeah, I, I mean, we're looking at the Pacific, and and now. We're just going to kind of preview the the entire league and move over to the Central Division, and and this is where it gets ridiculous. Is is teams are not really getting worse in the division; they're all getting better. And again, the Central Division is is probably one of the best in hockey. If you might have to have a little bit of a nod to to the Metro as being one of the best, but this is going to be interesting too. Because you've got Chicago, you've got Minnesota, you've got St. Louis. Uh, all vying to be again the top three in in that division, but then you've got Dallas who added Ben Bishop, added Radulov. They're going to be better this season as long as their defense and goaltending can handle themselves. The offense is there. You've got Winnipeg who has another season of Patrick Line, Shifley, Ailers, Wheeler. Got hopefully some good goaltending in Steve Mason now, and then you've got the Colorado Avalanche. We don't really need to discuss how they're going to do this season, but really, how do you points, baby. how do you see that shaping out with with that division? Um, my three division locks uh, for the Central Division were the Stars, uh, the Blackhawks, who I would love to, to boot out, but it's hard to boot them out, um, and the Nashville Predators. Uh, I know they played mediocre last year. They kind of pulled an L.A. Kings and, and got in uh, as a, a you know an eight seed and, and made it in um, and made it all the way to the final. But I think that team is just too good. Um, I know they have an injury to Ryan Ellis. He's going to be out for a bit, but I'm not too concerned with them being – you know, near the top of the division, but Dallas, I really, really love what they did. Bringing back Ken Hitchcock, uh, you know, pulling the ducks, you know, bringing Carlisle back, bringing, bringing Hitch back, straighten out that defense. Um, they added Ben Bishop, Radulov, Hansel, Mark Mathot, who's playing, you know, arguably uh, next to the best defenseman last year with, uh, with Carlson. I think that's going to bring a lot to shore up that D. I really like Dallas this year. I'm going to take a lot of heat for, for getting Nashville in the Central Division after this podcast. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you for, for Dallas. And, and now you've got Mathot, who's, like you said, played beside arguably the best defenseman in the in National Hockey League in Carlson. And you bring him alongside Klingberg in Dallas, who is, is not Carlson, but he's in the same type of mold as Carlson in the, in the player that he is. And, I mean, they hope that he can take the next step forward and, and be – half a player that that Carlson is and and do what he does for for Ottawa for for their team and yeah I mean that's the big issue for them really and and I I have them in the top three as well and and how can you not when they've got Ben Sagan Radulov short up that defense brought in a new coach who's going to teach defense first like he did in St. Louis and then you've got Ben Bishop in that who is just a wall Uh, I mean it's hard to not put them at the top Um, and then yeah Nashville I, I mean it you know they scraped in last year, then they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, and, and I think with the guys that they have, the young guys in their system, and they kept their their top four defensemen 
together. So, I mean, they're going to be great next year as well. And then it comes down to, to a little bit of a mess for those final three between Chicago, Minnesota, and St. Louis. It's hard to really pick from them because they were the top three last year. But uh, I think, like you said, it's hard to boot out Chicago. I mean, every year they just find a way to win. They look like they're getting older. Uh, they make some weird trades. And then, then they end up surprising everybody and getting 50 wins. So it's hard to really boot them out uh, from, from the Central Division. For sure. And the only team that I had a hard time placing was the Minnesota Wild. I know Brucey gets a lot out of his teams um, in the regular season. We all know how painful it is come playoff time, and so do the Caps fans. But uh, they were one of the top offenses. Uh, Devin Dubnik played just stellar up until the end of the last year. But, um, you know, losing out on Marco Scandella, I think that's going to hurt their defense a little bit. And how many how many more games can Ryan Suter play 32, 33 minutes a night uh, before that starts to, to backtrack a little bit? And they only, they didn't have anyone who was a 30 goal scorer, so they didn't have that gun, and that's that's what that's what killed them in the playoffs last year. I know we're talking regular season, but I had Minnesota taking a step back. I still have them in the wild card mix. Uh, the team that I'm really disappointed in, though, honestly, is is uh, Winnipeg. I love that team. I want them to do well because uh, they're fun. Um, I they, they just lack on that goaltending side. Yeah, and that's what I was going to get to, too, is Winnipeg. This is a team that, like you said, if they get good goaltending, they could – I said this earlier, and and before we got into – that was a couple weeks ago before preseason. I think the Winnipeg Jets, if they get good goaltending, can win the Central Division. They have, an, they have four guys who had over 60, 70 points last year. Um, they've they've got some young guys coming up. Kyle Connor is one of the best young players in the AHL last season. He's going to come up and possibly get a top six role with them as well. They've got a guy like Perot who was who's been unbelievable for them, who could possibly play on the third line because of the amount of forwards that they have up front. And then the blue line is you know Truba, Myers, Bufflin, Morrissey. You know you've got a lot of young guys. Enstrom's still on the team because they're able to keep him, and, and he's a valuable defenseman for them as well and it just comes down to goaltending and that's why it's so disappointing because this is such a great young team they ended off the season great they won seven in a row but you're playing in that division where you're going to play some of the powerhouses in the west every week and right. i really want them to do well i want them to do well so bad because like you i love this team i love the way they're built i think they're going to eventually be a great team once they get good goaltending but it's it's so tough to judge them because of that no, 100%. It's going to be really put on the shoulders of, uh, of Steve Mason. I mean, he had a 908 save percentage last season in 58 games. Um, just not his game. Maybe it was just an aberration on his on his career because previously, even though he played for a bad Philly team, he still put up decent numbers. So we'll see what he does here. I think that he has a better team um, in front of him. But I just to put all, the, all of uh, your eggs on Mason, who had a bad year last year, is going to be interesting how they are able to hold on there in the central um, – but I love Line A. I mean, he's like to me. It just reminds me of Kolchak with that uh, that one timer off on the on the power play, or even Ovi plays loves playing on that side too. Uh, they're an exciting team, I, and and I think Shifley's super underrated. I mean, he oh, came yeah. out and signed yeah. that giant deal, and everyone's like, oh yeah, he signed that he signed that giant deal. Now let's see what happens to his numbers, and he improved on all of them. Granted, he has Line A, but still, I think Shifley's just extremely underrated and never talked about. Yeah, and there was an interview with him in the offseason how he says he wants to be an elite player. He wants to be better than Crosby, better than David. And it's enough to say that, but this guy's put in the work in the offseason. You know, he could he had an 80-point season last year. He could have just slacked off and said, oh, yeah, I mean, I had 80 points, whatever. I can do that again next season. This guy's working harder to be a better player. And, and you know, he's got guys like Kalina who can utilize. He's got Ehlers. He's got 
Wheeler. He's got a lot of guys on his wing that at any time he can, you know, dish the buck to them and it's in the back of the net and he's picked up a point. And you're going to look at his numbers last season too. He was, wasn't that great on the power play if you compare him to top power play producers uh, in the NHL. The, the Winnipeg Jets power play was, was not, well, not one of the worst, but for the, the offense they have at their disposal wasn't that great. And, and from what I've seen in preseason, it looks like it's a lot different, a different system. If they can get that going this season, they're going to, I mean, he's going to put up 80 points a season, sorry, 80 points again, 90 even. If, if he can all stay healthy with that line, uh, they're going to be unstoppable. I think so too. It just like we said, though, it comes down to that crease. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And, and again, you you go over to the Atlantic Division now, and and I mean, a lot of them. You gotta look at Montreal Canadiens, and and it starts in the crease, obviously, with Carey Price, and 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 seeing what they can do. But you know, it's it's not a super strong division. I mean, you look at Montreal, and and yeah, they're probably the favorites. Tampa Bay is is if a healthy Stamkos for once they could finally fulfill the potential that they've had for the last few seasons, and then the Toronto Maple Leafs with Freddie and that and the young guys that they have in coming up with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, you know it, it's going to be a, a toss up really in that division to to see who can make the top three. Yeah, the only surefire thing there is uh, Detroit is going to be at the yeah. bottom of the division, right? Um, no, I mean, really the powerhouse over, over here is you want to look at price, but I mean, I, I would be more fearful at Tampa Bay with a healthy Steven Stamkos. Um, they have just a heck of a team there. Victor Hedman, uh, basically is the, uh, just the catalyst for that team. And he's a Norris trophy candidate. He's a big guy. He can make plays. He plays defense, uh, plays a lot of good minutes. Um, I mean, yeah, they're they're They don't have Jonathan, uh, drew in anymore. Um, but they did pick up, I guess, maybe a little more offense with Chris Kunitz. I mean, not saying he's going to take over and what Duran put up, but uh, just making sure they add a little bit of, uh, of pucks in the back of the net there with him. I think Tampa's the, the, the class of that division, and then, and then the Habs. But the Habs rely so much on Carey Price. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. I think they went 0-6 in the preseason so far. I know we just got done saying it, it doesn't matter, but uh, they're not off to the best of starts to the season. Um, and then the other team I, I look at here is I think – I think Boston's going to be in the mix. Um, I don't really think Ottawa's really going to have too much pull this year. I know last year was a Cinderella story with Craig Anderson, but um, I think Boston, Tampa, and um, <laughs> excuse me, the Canadians are uh, right up there. But you can't forget about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think that's a team that everyone's got to look out for. Yeah, and really for for Tampa Bay, it comes down to the same sort of situation the Ducks are in. Is is Andre Vasilevsky going to be able to lead a team? He's a young goaltender, much like John Gibson, and everybody looks to to Murray now in Pittsburgh as the as the example as of a young goalie leading a team. If Tampa well, he's Bay, lost what twelve season twelve regular <laughs> season games. Yeah, it's it's hard to not look at him as as an example, but. If Tampa Bay can get that type of goaltending, and Andre Vasilevsky has the, the ability to be that type of goaltender, there's there's no question that they could be Stanley Cup contenders come playoff time. I mean, if, if Stamkos can stay healthy and play 80, 82 games, and Kucherov can continue to play as well as he has with Stamkos in the lineup, then I don't see why this team can't be one of the best in the Atlantic, if not the Eastern Conference. And, and that's tough to say when you've got you're going up against teams like Washington and Pittsburgh and Columbus but this is a team that has performed well without Steven Stamkos obviously missed the playoffs last year but there's a lot of moving parts in that situation so it's gonna be interesting to see how they put everything together and then obviously Montreal like you said they it's hard to put a lot of stuff on preseason but they were 0-6 until they won 9-2 tonight against a a pretty (laughs) put together Ottawa team it wasn't the greatest team they they were icing but 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is going to be on Jonathan Duran, who is now centering the top line between Pacioretty and Gallagher. What you know, he's going from almost uh, isolation in Tampa Bay, where he was playing in the minors, wasn't playing, then came back and, and played pretty well uh, with Tampa Bay, and and now he's to playing in his home country and playing first line center for the Montreal Canadiens. That that's going to be a tough role for him to fill because. You know, they're going to give him a little bit of leeway because he's French-Canadian, but if he starts underperforming, uh, they're going to turn on him just like they turned on, on Alex Galchenyuk last season. So that's going to be tough for, for them to work out there. And, and then obviously the Leafs, and, and, you know, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. You've got all of those young guys, and, and hopefully none of them go through sophomore slumps. I think that's what most Leaf fans are talking about right now is, is can they continue improving from what they did last year. But... I think a couple teams to watch in this one, too, are, are Florida and Buffalo. Uh, I mean, Florida lost Jager, but they brought in Dadanov, who they drafted forever ago, and now he's back from the KHL. Right. See if they can do well. And then I think a full season of Jack Eichel is, I don't think Buffalo's going to make the playoffs, but it'll be interesting to see what Jack Eichel can do with a full season playing with uh, whoever he ends up playing with, probably Kane and Palmonville, and, and seeing what he can do. He was almost a point-per-game player, one of the, the best players in the second half of, of the season last year. No, he definitely, and he needs to be. He really needs to be yeah. good. He's at that point. What he's coming up on his uh, the end of his entry level contract, right? Yeah. So he really needs to put up those numbers and and prove that he you know he should have been drafted number one overall. Remember there was that big debate about who's going to go number one. Uh, well, clearly uh, he needs to prove that he was deserved to be drafted that high, and uh, they really need to build around him. I think that Buffalo is going going in the right direction, though. I I don't. I don't hate that team. I just don't think they have enough, like you said, to make it into the playoffs. Um, and Florida, they're a strange one. They went from uh, going to the playoffs to completely missing the playoffs. And every time I think about that, I always think about their uh, their old coach getting in a cab after after a game <laughs> yeah. when they got when they fired him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, no, well, now he's he's okay now. He's over in the, with the Golden Knights. But uh, it's it's Reimer time in Florida, right? You gotta you gotta move away from Roberto Luongo and give and give the crease over to James Reimer and see what he can do. Um, they added, like you said, Dadanoff, and then they added Redeem Verbata. They lost Marcus Soto, who had a really good year. Riley Smith and UC Jokinen. and I honestly I can't believe they didn't get they didn't keep Yager. I don't know if Yager didn't want to stay or they didn't want to sign him, but uh, that team will be interesting. I'm not 100 percent down on them, but I'm not really like woohoo! Can't wait to watch them play. You know what I mean? They're kind of like a middling yeah. team for me. I think there's really only two teams in that division who are probably locked for the playoffs, and I think Montreal is one of them, barely, and then I think Tampa Bay is probably the one that end up winning that division. Um, and, and then you move into not the Leafs. I, you know, I think I th- the Leafs for me. I think they're in the same boat as Montreal. I think they're going to be right there, um, but you, you got to watch out for Boston because, like you said, Boston. They were good last year. You know, they they kept pretty much the same team. They've got a good young defenseman and Charlie McAvoy is going to take a step forward. Tuka Rask was great last year, so they're going to be right around there. And, it, and then you look at because you got to look at the Metro too, and and you know four teams, maybe five, who are probably locks for the playoffs. There's only going to be three spots most likely for this Atlantic Division, and right. they're going to be fighting. And Ottawa's most likely going to take a step down. But when you look at you got Montreal and Tampa Bay up top, and then you're going to have Toronto, Boston and maybe Florida, and, and to some extent, maybe Ottawa, if they can pull off what they did last year, fighting for that last spot. So that's why I don't really have them as a lock. Uh, but they're going to be in the mix for sure. I, I have a lot of uh, a lot of high hopes for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I think they're a division lock. Yeah. I, I, I like them too much. I really love Austin Matthews and, 
and Mitch Marner and Nealander, those guys are just so exciting to watch. It just reminded me a lot of the uh, Team North America team, you know, the, that kind of style yeah. of uh, run-and-gun game. So maybe I'm up on the hype a bit, but I do like the, I do like the Leafs. Well, I also have to hear about them every single day, so <laughs> I've got to kind of put them back down to earth because I've got about a million Leafs fans living in the, the 10 kilometers from my house, so uh, <laughs> I've got to kind of come back down to earth on them. But uh, but when we look at the the Metro Division, what we were just talking about too, there there really are five teams who are, or who could win this division. In my opinion, I think Washington is is still one of the. I mean, they were the best team last year. They have lost a couple guys, but they've pretty much kept that same team together. Obviously, the Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins, Columbus Blue Jackets have added Artemi Panarin, losing Brandon Saad, but I think they kind of did win that trade, especially now that they can ice the top line of Panarin, Wenberg, and Atkinson. That line's going to be probably one of the best lines in the NHL. Got the Rangers, who uh, who knows what they're going to do this year. And then I think the Islanders, too. I think um, with a lot of young guys in Barzell and Hosang coming up, if they can get some good goaltending, they're going to be a team who could scrape into the playoffs, too. Yeah, my, my three locks for this division, I mean, obviously I had to go with Pittsburgh. You can't boot out the champion. They only wanted to do it in 20 years back-to-back. Uh, the Caps are the Caps. They did have some key departures. I, they're going to miss Marcus Johansson, and I think that uh, Nate Schmidt is underrated. Um, and they really didn't do much to bring in anybody else. I mean, they brought in Devontae smith Pelly, which you know isn't <laughs> going to blow your skirt up and make you happy. Um, but I, I do like the Rangers, though. I do think that... Uh, Bringing in Kevin Chattenkirk was a great acquisition. Obviously, he was the most sought-after free agent, especially on, on defense. Um, I think that's going to help them out a lot. And I think losing Dan Girardi really helps them out. I'm not a fan of that guy's game whatsoever. So those are my three. Um, I mean, and I, I'm really not sure about Columbus. I I want to like them. I, I really like Artemi Panarin. Um, but I'm just not sold on John Tortorella hockey. I I would have to see them come out and compete hard and almost recreate what they did last year. They're not too far off. They have the pieces, but uh, we'll see. Um, and the other team that has a big question mark on me is uh, is the Carolina Hurricanes. I think that's adding um, adding Scott Darling was huge for them. They really needed it. And then Marcus Kruger and Trevor Van Riemsdyk. I think those are really good acquisitions for them as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of shake out. They were close. They were really close last year. So we'll see how that shakes out for them. And then um, you really, I don't know too much about the Islanders, but you, you seem to know more about them than I do. <laughs> I mean, they're just an interesting team. They they have been for a while because John Tavares is one of the best players in the NHL. And, and he really hasn't sure. had much support really since Matt Molson left. And Matt Molson wasn't a great player there, uh, or he isn't a great player where he is now, but he was a top six forward there because John Tavares made him a top six forward. Now they have he has Jordan Eberle to play with. Now he's got uh, Josh Hosang who's coming up and, and going to play. He's got Barzell, who, who he can play on his left wing or can play at center. They've got Anders Lee, who can take a step forward and play. They've, they've got a lot of options now in forward, which they didn't have before. And, and obviously the issue for them is still on defense and in Golden. They lost Travis Hamannick, so there's going to have to be guys that come up and, and step in there, but you know, can Thomas Grice do as well as he did last year? Is Halak gonna actually play well because he got sent down to the minors for a bit last year because he wasn't playing oh, yeah. great? Uh, but yeah, I think they're an interesting team to watch. They're not, obviously not a lock by by a long shot, um, and it's a really interesting mix of teams in this division because you got to look at Philadelphia and New Jersey who picked up Nico Hishire and 
Nolan Patrick, and those are going to be big additions to their team. And I think Philadelphia underperformed last year because they do have a lot of great players. Giroux, Voracek, Simmons, Shane Gostaspear. Goaltending has really been the issue for them, and I don't think Brian Elliott's a great addition, but there wasn't much else they could do. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think they, they can make a push, and they're going to be sniffing around where the Islanders are. And then, like you said, Carolina, I think that has to be the most interesting team in the division. Scott Darling was a great addition for them. Uh, Noah Hannafin's in, going into another season. Justin Falk. They've got Sebastian Ajo. Jeff Skinner still there. Slavin. Yeah, Slavin, who was unbelievable for them last year. Just came out of nowhere, really. And, and he's been great. They've got a lot of good young defensemen, and that's... In my opinion, that's how you build a team. If you can't get a star, superstar forward, build it up through defense. And that's what the Ducks did, obviously. Now we look at it and, and gets off and Perry, the, the older pieces, but you look at Lindholm and Vatanen and Montour and all those guys. Building up through defense is, is the best way to get where you want to go in the long term. And Carolina's doing that. And they've got a lot of good young pieces up front as well. So it's, it all really comes down to them. It's, it's what Scott Darling going to do? Because I don't think Cam Ward's going to be the goalie that won in the Stanley Cup way back in, in, in 04. So he's not going to be that. So Scott Darling's going to have no, to do something for them. No, not at all. And, and unfortunately, because I do like the New Jersey Devils, they're probably going to be the bottom feeders again in this in this division. It, you just have to look at the talent around the other teams. But I'm really interested to see how Nico Hischer is going to do because a lot of people were critical of this draft, saying it, you look at the the last few drafts where Matthews and Lion A and McDavid and Eichel, and now you've got Nico Hischer and Nolan Patrick, and they're not really at that caliber. I really want to see how he does in a top six role with his team. And from what they've heard recently from the coaches, he's going to get a chance to play with most likely Taylor Hall and, and possibly Nick Palmieri. Or, and you know, there's a lot of guys that he's going to be able to play with and, and get a chance to put up some points. And, you know, they've got Pavel Zaka, who's going to who's take a step forward. And, you know, Henrique, who's been their top-line center for the last few seasons, might be end up playing third-line center on opening night. So they've got a lot of interesting options there. And obviously Corey Schneider and Nett, who's, one of the most underrated goalies in the league because he's playing in New Jersey. You know, I, I think they're a team, a dark horse team, probably not going to make the playoffs, but they're going to cause a lot of problems for the teams in this division. No, I agree with you. And I also agree with your, uh, your opinion about Corey Schneider. I got a lot of flack yeah. uh, for putting him in with him. I think he was in my top three for top 10 goalies. I just feel like what he has in front of him compared to what he sees every night. Um, it's hard to, to put him outside of a top five role. Uh, if you're talking about top goalies, um, he had a down year last year, sure, but that team is just not great. And it'll be interesting to see where Nolan Patrick on Philly and Nico Heischer fit in um, because draft number doesn't always tell you everything. I mean, look at Detroit when they drafted Datsuk. He went 171st overall. No one ever would have thought he would have been you know, this amazing defensive forward who had these ridiculous hands, right? So it's not always where you're drafted, but there is a lot on you when you go 1-2. Um, and from a lot of reports, people are saying that they're going to go to teams that need them to be a number one, where they really are just a number two center, or uh, should be a, you know a, you know a uh, a second line guy rather than a first line guy. So it'll be interesting to see where they go up. And uh, Nolan Patrick has that horrific injury history too, which people were concerned mm-hmm. about, especially the Flyers when they drafted him. Um, so curious to see how these guys go. I, I know that. <laughs> Who did he fight? Nolan Patrick fought David Krejci in preseason yeah. <laughs> the other day, so that was great. not the toughest customer, but <laughs> no, not the biggest guy either. But uh, Giroux had a smile on his face for him, right when he was going to the box. So uh, we'll see how these guys shake out. I, I don't know too much about guys coming in, so I apologize for that. But from what I know about them is is like you said, they're not a McDavid, they're not an Eichel, they're not a Matthews or a Line. So, but they're drafted to those numbers, so people like to put that expectation on them. 
Yeah, and I mean, really, it's tough to put it on them. We've seen him a bit in preseason. To be honest, Nico Hischer has been actually really good in preseason. He's had seven points in four games, and that's the reason that he's probably going to start in a top six role. But that's what I, you know, I love these drafts where there isn't a superstar because you get to see which team made the right decision. And and there is a guy who could be, like you said, a Datsuk later on in that draft who was a lot better than the guys who went one over uh, one or two. And there could be a guy who has went eight, nine, ten overall who end up doing a lot better. I mean, you look at Arizona's top prospect this year, Clayton Keller, he was drafted in the top ten, and, and he's arguably the favorite to win the Calder Trophy this year. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. I think you know, there's a lot of opportunity for for all three of those guys this season. You know, Hisher is going to get a top six role. Patrick looks like he's going to be the second line center for for the Flyers. Keller is going to be a top six forward for the Coyotes, and these are all up and coming teams, especially the Devils and the Coyotes, that are going to be exciting to watch. Uh, Keller, they're talking about it's Clayton Keller, right? Yeah. They're talking about him being. Uh, the, I've heard a lot of people talk about him being the the, uh, the Calder candidate, the mm-hmm. guy to beat. He and Charlie McAvoy. So uh, that'll be interesting to see who wins that battle. I mean. That's great for Arizona, though, huh? I mean, that, not a yeah. lot has been talked about with uh, with Clayton Keller, and uh, they need some more eyes on that city to maintain a uh, NHL team. So I love what he's them. done too. The general manager there. Uh, I mean, what he's done with this team. I mean, he's brought in a lot of interesting pieces. I think Antiranta was a great signing for them. They, you know, they finally moved away from Mike Smith, and and unfortunately, I think they did finally need to move away from Shane Doan. It, it's disappointing because he's been such an iconic guy for that team, but I think it was time for them to move away from him. But Well, the way they did it probably wasn't yeah, the classiest exactly, of ways, yeah. right? Yeah, but I mean, you look at the young guys coming up, Clayton Keller, Dylan Strom, uh, Lawson Krause, they've got a lot of young players. That Christian Dvorak. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Christian Fisher. I mean, the list goes on for this team and the young guys that they have that are ready to break up and break into this lineup. And you can't really do that when you've got Shane Doan, who kind of has to play in your top six. So I think... They're going to be an interesting team to watch. They're, they they might, they might, it's hard to say, they might challenge for a playoff spot. A lot of it comes down to goaltending because, you know, we, we look at Starling and Ronta this season, if they're going to do what Cam Talbot did in Edmonton last season where he's coming from a team where he got thrust into the starting position as a backup, did really well, and earned himself a contract. So those two goalies are going to be interesting to see what they do on very young upcoming teams. Oh, 100%. Where did you? Where, speaking of, uh, like, where did you feel about uh, the Shane Doan rumors about him coming to Anaheim? That's <laughs> that's something. I think that's. I'm kind of glad that he's yeah. no longer in that case because people were like, "Oh, we should totally bring him in." And and ha- like, where would he? Where would he slot in? This team is too fast. I mean, it, it <laughs> that came about the same time where we had. Oh, everybody wanted Yager to come too, and, and Jerome Ginla as well. He wouldn't have fit in this team, to be honest. And, and I love Shane Doan as a as a guy, and I loved him as a player back in the day. But sure. he wouldn't have fit in, in this team. He, you know, he would have been like a fourth line guy, most likely. And, you know, the the league is it, you need to have a faster team now. The Penguins have proved that, and you know, even Nashville too, making it into the the Stanley Cup Finals last year. You need to be a quick team, and and adding Shane Doan would have just put us even farther behind. And obviously, the Ducks really haven't got that much faster anyway, but. That's why, personally, I was against them going after Doan or going after Yager. As much as I love Yammer Yager, too, 
again, you're going after a slower guy. Who, well, <laughs> that's the Yager factor, I guess. You would have taken him because he's Yammer Yager. But... I want a Ducks sweater with his yeah, name on the back. Yeah. Okay, don't so ruin my dreams So it's a selfish, selfish reason, not for, Absolutely. not for the team. But, I mean, he would have been great. I think he would have been better than Doan to, to have Yager. I think he would have provided more. But, you know, you, you need to get faster. And it, it's unless they're going to make up for that with their play on the ice – then it's not worth it. And and I think that's why they didn't obviously end up doing it. And I think that's why he, most teams haven't called Yammer Yager yet. You know, obviously there's rumors he might go to St. Louis now. But the Blues. Robbie yep. Fabry's out for the season. So that makes sense for them. But honestly, that's why I think most teams haven't called him. He was great in Florida, but he also played with Barkov and Huberto. So it's hard to judge what he could have done if he, he didn't have that supporting cast there. Right. No, I agree with you on that. I just, like you said, selfish. Selfish intentions for me. Yeah. But there's a lot of things changing this this year in, in, in NHL. We looked at the the changes in the rules now. There, there's a lot of stricter rules on slashing. There's a change in the coaches' challenge, which I love to be honest. I love that now if they fail the offside challenge, they get a two minute minor penalty because that's just going to be great to see the reaction on, especially like guys like John Tortorella. The coaches' faces when uh, they they get the wrong side of the call and they end up getting a two minute penalty. What do you? How do you feel about especially that rule change, but all of them in general? Um, if there's anybody listening to this show right now and they happen to, to listen to my no show as well, we? <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, like, to, listen to both of us, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, talking about. <laughs> if there's anybody who's, who knows what I say about this, it is my most hated rule in the <laughs> NHL. I hate the offside rule. I think it's useless. Um, it, it's, it should be only there for egregious plays. Um, I think it was actually Matthew Shane that was like a mile offside and they didn't catch it in a game yeah. when he was playing yeah, in the Avs yeah. a couple seasons ago. It's for that. It's not for, hey, is Philip Forsberg's skate technically on the blue line or off the blue line in the playoffs? It slows the game down. Uh, it turned into being like an extra timeout for teams. So if you can't get rid of it, I'm 100% okay um, with giving the other team a, a, a man advantage yeah. if you fail your challenge. I, I hate that rule. It's the dumbest rule in the NHL. I, I can't stand it. Yeah, and, and the good thing about this is we're not going to see it as much as we saw last season. The, the, it was comical the amount of times we saw this happen at the end of games just for, for no reason, just to see if it was his like if his skate was off the ice on the blue line. Yeah, um, might as well, right? Yeah, Throw it out there. Yeah, exactly. Now that you, there's a possibility that you're going to get a you know a two-minute penalty, I hope, I plead that this means that they're not going to use this as often as it was used last season. And I think it's a step forward. I think they want to keep it around. That's why they're doing this. And if there's an issue with it this season, I think they probably move to taking it out. Um, but the coaches love it. Yeah, I think I, of course like they it. do. They love that. Of course they do because it gives them a chance to, to overturn a call and they are in charge of being able to do that. So it's not all in the ref's hands per se. So they've got a little bit of control now. But if it if it flops like it did last season, uh, again with this change to it, I think they have to look at taking it out because it is ridiculous. I, I mean, like you said, it's only for the plays like when Duchesne was two miles offside and scored a goal. But now we're, we're debating if, if a guy's skate was lifted up over the blue line or not on the ice. Like it, It's just getting ridiculous the, the way it's used. Just make the blue line a plane. Yeah. Make it a plane. Break the plane you're in. They yeah, just, I mean, they, they did a, they did a, um, I think it was Sportsnet. They talked to a bunch of players and said, "What rule would you change uh, if you had the power to change rules?" And some guys were ridiculous. Eichel said he would take away offside so we could sit on the other end and cherry pick. But there was, <laughs> roller hockey. Yeah, there were some guys though who actually had like they should just listen to players. There's some guys who had some decent suggestions for 
changing the game in a good way. And, and obviously it's difficult to say, okay, we'll just take what this player's idea and we'll implement it, but at least listen to the players and, and you know, they're the guys out there. They know what's going on and, and change the game in a better direction. I Is mean, the I, NHL the only league that every year we wonder which rule they're going to add or take yeah, away or, I mean, or, or mix much. around or change? Like every <laughs> year they try to better their product with something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like it, at least recently, that every year something gets changed. And, and, and it's always minor stuff, but last year it was big because the coach's challenge was new. And then now we're changing it a bit. And, and now they're cracking down on slashing. And, and it's possibility that the, the goalies' uh, pads are going to be bigger or smaller. The net's going to get bigger. It, it seems like every season we have. Some rules that don't get implemented but are going to get implemented next season or we're going to be talking about different rules. It, it seems to happen every year. And as far as the slashing goes, I'm okay with it. Players yeah. are going to adjust. They, they adjust to everything. These guys are professional. They're the best at what they do. That's why they're in the league. It's, it's going to go down. And, yeah, do you really want your guy breaking his hand or, or breaking a finger on a play where it was a needless slash? I'm 100% okay with it. Sure, the preseason didn't have a lot of flow, but it's preseason. It's what it's there for. Yeah. I'm 100% okay with slashing being cracked down on. And, and it weeds out the slower guys, too. I, I mean, how many times have we seen, for lack of a better example, Kevin Bieksa be slow on a play and slash a guy in the hands because he can't catch up, and then I, I, that guy ends up getting hurt or whatever. I mean, it, it helps in that aspect of the game, too. It speeds up the game because these guys know that they can't just do that anymore. They can't just whack a guy in the hands when he goes by them because they're too slow to turn around and catch him. So there's that right. aspect to it as well. And and. Little rules like that, I'm fine. I'm fine them changing it, trying to make the game better, trying it out, saying they're just going to crack down on this or, or change this a little bit. But it's when they make the huge change every year, it seems like they just make some some kind of big change that, that really like affects the game in a negative way. Yeah, leave the nets alone. Don't make them bigger. They're fine the way they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Focus on the. I'm fine with focusing on the goalie's pads. I agree sometimes they are the, the goalie equipment is ridiculously big. Uh, for especially for the I mean for the bigger guys is insane and sometimes these guys wear equipment that is already way too big for them anyway just to get that extra inch of pad or that extra of course I would too the, yeah exactly why not I honestly think that should be the next step for them then to focus on coach's challenge and two minute penalty for if you if you miss the offside call I think that should be the direction that they go in is looking at making the goalie pads smaller obviously being still safe for the goaltenders but they have a lot of room to cut down before it's unsafe for goaltenders. 100%, man. I'm right there with you on those rule changes. Uh, and, I mean, I guess this is a better time than any to, to move in probably what's been the biggest story in sports over the last year and a half. Oh, is, boy. Yeah. Is kneeling during the national anthem, and now it's moved its way from the NFL and to the NHL, and it's become a, a big focus, uh, really, at the start of preseason. And they've talked to guys like Joel Ward and P.K. Subban and, and recently – uh, Eric Stevens put an article and they talked to, to Ducks players and, and how they were going to feel about it. I mean, it's it's a huge topic right now, not just in sports, but in, in politics and, and in the world in general right now. How do you kind of feel about this situation? Um, so for me, I've always felt that people have the right to protest. You know, that's that's part of their rights in, in the United States is to be able to protest about, about some sort of injustice you feel is happening and and I think that the media um, has done just some damage in the way it's viewed. I don't think people understand that the, these these players are, are they're not protesting necessarily because they're oppressed. They're trying to bring awareness to those who are, and this is a platform and a stage for them to do it. I don't think they're trying to disrespect the anthem or the military or anything like that. Um, I'm 100% okay with it. Uh, but I mean, the First Amendment doesn't protect you from your employer, so of course. 
leagues are, are more than happy to put in their own set of rules and say they could, you know, they could ban it. And I think we've already heard about that starting to happen, which I feel is unfortunate. But they have the right to do that. But as far as, as what it's about and and uh, who's doing it, I'm I'm a hundred percent okay with it, on board with it, and uh, I think it's something that people should be looking at and bringing about awareness rather than getting mad about it and burning jerseys and tickets. But that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, and the the headline of the article that I referenced in Eric Siemens says the Ducks are united in the stance on the anthem, but they want to focus on the message. So they're not going to kneel during the national anthem, but they're focused on the message behind it. And I think that's so important when we're talking about this. Is It's not about disrespecting the national anthem, disrespecting the flag, patriotism, or anything. It's about focusing on the message that's behind the protest. And I think that's so important. And, and it, it really doesn't get focused on because, the obviously, the media is all about the, the drama and the clickbait and everything and they want to get the story out there and this guy's kneeling and, and what does this mean for for his team and, and for him as a person and you know Colin Kaepernick's a, a perfect example he's taken a lot of heat because I mean it kind of really all started with him but uh, I mean I'm fine with it and, and you know I if I don't know how many people keep up with the NBA, NBA here and we're kind of getting off topic but we saw tonight the uh, Nuggets players the Denver Nuggets they were linking arms during the national anthem because it's actually a mandated rule that they can't uh, kneel or sit during the national anthem. So uh, again, I'm fine with that too. Uh, I mean, it's they're they're taking advantage of the the situation that they're in. That they there's a rule that they're not allowed to sit. So they're doing another example of of peaceful protest to get the message across, which is perfectly fine. And, and to be honest, I don't I understand why some people are so heated about the situation, but they're not really focusing on the message behind it. They're focusing on what the media is putting out there and the image it, it portrays. Yeah. And I, I, I just hope that it, it all comes out to something good happening through this. And it's, it's not some yeah. negative thing. It's going to stick in, not just in sports, but in the media in general, it's, it's unfortunate. It's being portrayed in a negative light, in my opinion. Yeah. And, but that's, sports and that's the, the media surrounding sports it's it, it's it, you're never always going to get right to the, the core message and some will uh, and most won't uh, a lot of people want to get click uh, clicks on their website and get clickbait and and, and a lot of players and, and i'm glad guys like joel ward and and a lot of edge players have come out and said that they're not going to participate in this so they're like they're not going to they're going to put the message out there first. They're not going to draw attention to, to kneeling during the national anthem or, or whatever. And, and, and I applaud that. I don't think the NHL needs that. I don't think we need that, that unneeded negative press that's associated. We've, we've seen in the, in the NFL all last season, the, the media, that's all they talked about. And, and I don't think the NHL needs that. And, and, and the NBA started to get a bit of that now with the start of their season as well. And I really hope it doesn't go in that direction for the NHL. Uh, you know they can focus on the message, but we don't need that negative press that comes associated with it. I would be okay with it, though. Um, I understand where you're coming from with that, but I'd be okay with it. I think that the message is important. Yeah. Um, and I, I just don't understand why it's such a, a gigantic deal for them to kneel during the anthem and when it's yeah, nothing sure. to when it's not just nothing to do with it. That's why I have a hard time with people misconstruing the message there and I think mm. it's like this you know strike against their family members or them or or whoever that they support that's in the military or their country it has nothing to do with that it's an opportunity to bring awareness and that's the place they chose to do it it's a peaceful protest like no one's you know burning cities down it's they want you to to be aware and that's what it means so i i just i, w- I wouldn't bother me but it's to me it's very typical of the nhl and yeah. and it's players for the most part to be you know and honestly they're predominantly white male athletes 
Um, and I'm not trying to bring, you know, bring up a race discussion here, but that's the majority of the players. So I don't think a lot of those guys are too concerned about it, but I appreciate the ones that are that understand it. Yeah, and, and you brought up uh, an important comment on the discussion before we started recording this and, and how these guys are in a unique position to get the message out there. And a lot of people look negatively on them because they're a million-dollar athlete, they've got a ton of money, this, you know, this doesn't really concern them. But I think it's good that they're using their platform, the position they're in to get this message across because you're not going to hear it from, from the people it's actually affecting. You're going to hear it from the the spokespeople and the athletes and the ones who are trying to get the message across. And and in that aspect, I wouldn't mind seeing it in the NHL if they were to do it for that reason. And it's just the negative press that comes along with it and, and that affects the league negatively. You, sure. You've seen it already in the in the NFL and how – it's affected the perception a bit of the NHL. And nothing's going to tarnish the NFL's record. Anyway, it's going to be the top sports league for the foreseeable future. But it's just the negative press that comes around with it, and you have to hear about it every day. And, and of course, that helps spread the message, but it's the the stories that negatively represent it is what bugs me. I understand that. No, I can see that, especially when people are already saying that they, uh, like 62% of those polled, Yahoo had a story on a poll that they, you know, they hope... 60% of people, 62% of people voted that they hoped that uh, the NFL and their players and teams had financial harm because of this. So that's that's not good <laughs> if you're talking about a, <laughs> a corporate standpoint. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. And one good thing kind of moving on from, from that is is something that we haven't really seen in a long time is we we saw Paul Correa in an interview. And you know TSN set up an interview, talked to him about the hit and the goal and, and you know off the floor on the board. They talked to him about all that. And the surprising news is he doesn't remember any of it. And it was a great interview. It's, it's, it's great to see Korea out there involved in some way with the hockey community. And obviously it was kind of expected with his Hall of Fame induction. But I think it's a great step for him moving forward that we might actually be able to see more of him. Obviously it started in the playoffs where we saw the video that the Ducks put out of him painting uh, over the nine uh, for the playoff win. So I think it's great to see him out in the in the public again. I could talk about Korea um, on it's on like a on like a, a feature length podcast. I could sit here and talk about that guy. I I'm so happy he's back um, in in some somewhat of the spotlight. The uh, the 12 minute documentary, the mini documentary they did with him with uh, TSM was fantastic. Um, it's he's got a real special place for me because he's the guy who brought my love of hockey up. I had no idea what hockey was. Uh, he's the sole reason why I started following it and, and getting involved with with the Ducks and watching them and and being a fan. And uh, he means everything to to me for hockey. And it's just great to see him come back. It's real scary, though, listening to him talk oh, about yeah. he didn't remember game six. Uh, before game six, day after game, or game seven, two days after that, I didn't remember any of that. And well, that hit is hard to watch. That was really tough for me to watch. And I, I imagine that's something that he probably doesn't watch. You know, he said he's seen it. But that's that was yeah. brutal. Yeah, and, and I think one of the, the best comments for me and one of the ones, the most thought-provoking ones is, is – the, the the interviewee he he said to to Korea, why don't they hire a guy like you in in the Department of Player Safety? And it's such a great question because why don't they hire a guy like this who's experienced this many concussions, who has this experience, where his his career and, and almost his life was ruined because of the injuries he had in the NHL? Why isn't a guy like Paul Korea the not maybe not that in the, the role that George Perros is now, but why is he not involved in some way with the Department of Player Safety? 
Um, honestly, I think it's because it's a it's an old boys club. I think they love uh, that's they love that the, the kind of violence that hitting brings in the NHL, and they don't want to see it go away. If they were really serious about banning fighting, they would ban fighting. Um, if they were really serious about getting rid of all headshots, they would put a bigger slap on then put a bigger hit on a player than a slap on the wrist for a headshot. Uh, I mean, look, this league they it's a violent sport, and these guys really uh, they love the old time hockey. So I, th- I think that's the reason why they don't have a guy like Paul Correa involved in player safety. And I get that Paros is limited in what he can do because a lot of it's based on uh, the bargaining agreement with the NHLPA. But um, I really think it's because these guys that run the league, they just it's a, it's a violent league and they like the old school hockey types. Otherwise, if they were serious, they'd get rid of it. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with that. But what I hope from all this and, and from – this interview and everything is 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 all it means is that hopefully Paul Korea in some aspect maybe not with the Ducks or anything just gets involved with hockey or even the NHL again and is just just see more of him. I just want to see more of Paul Korea. I don't think that's too much to ask. I mean, we I was so excited. I think everybody agrees when we saw him. I think it was the first time I've seen him forever in that playoff uh, preview that the Ducks put out. And, and then again, to see this interview with him, it's just great to see him. Because, I mean, you and me and, and a bunch of people included is the reason that we're Ducks fans today is because of Paul Correa. And just to see him out talking to, to the media, being involved in hockey again, it, it's just so great to see. Did you hear the part of his interview where, he, where they said to him, the interviewer said, uh, you don't keep any mementos in your house? Like yeah. he has no hockey mementos in his house, like yeah. nothing. And he said, "Well, I, I like to look forward." That's that's such mm-hmm. a trip for me to hear that because almost every player yeah. has stuff. I don't think I've seen another has that player in his who has it. Yeah, exactly. I don't think like I, I you see a lot of different players and, and they talk about how they don't always like to associate hockey with with their their regular life, but they still have jerseys or or the the first goal they score, they have the puck somewhere framed in their house. I don't think I've ever seen a player come out and say that they literally have no mementos of hockey. He keeps that completely separate from his personal life. That's a trip. And he also said that, um, what was it? I'm trying to think of the part where he was talking with him about going back into the rink where he was like, oh, it feels good. The the cold feels good. So maybe that's a little bit of uh, like looking in the future for us, like you were saying, having him back involved in hockey. That's that's where we want him to be. Um, And it it was interesting to see him also he didn't really have any other reason that he had a planned family vacation for not being at Timu's banner raising night, which I find that very hard to believe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, really? That was the real reason? Because as those chairs filled up and I was at Honda Center that night, I'm like, okay, where's Paul? I know Paul's going to be yeah. there. He's got I feel like there's probably buddy. an underlying reason other than that. Maybe he did have a family thing, but there has to be more behind that than than just a, a family outing or something. I mean, he said he had no issues with the league and no issues with hockey, which is I also find very difficult considering his career was ended on, on the marker of brain damage, which is super unfortunate, you know? Yeah. So... Either way, it, it was a great documentary, and I'm, I really hope, like you said, it, it means that it's going to be more Paul Korea down the line here. Yeah, and, and really continuing that, do you think eventually the Ducks raise his number to, to the Raptors right beside Timo Salani? You have to. <laughs> I think yeah. if, he, if he stays out um, from hiding and comes back in, into the hockey world, you have to. Um, I, hope, I hope they do. I, really, I, I think they have to do it, though. I think that time will come. Yeah, I, I mean, it has to. I mean, th- there aren't many other players they can really put there. I, I mean, a lot of people I mean, have maybe argued. Jiggy? Yeah, a lot of people have argued Jiggy. 
Um, some people before Niedermar, uh his number went up in, in New Jersey. They argued uh, Scotty is his number going nah, up. I, I yeah, don't, I, I don't really think that. that me either. And people have argued Pronger as well. Just no, it's it's hard when they've been there. They haven't really been there that long. Um, you know, Korea you look, carried this team for exactly. ten years on his own, and, and he has to be the logical next step. And, and then, like you said, Jiggy is it, those are really the only guys you can really put into that category. There's other guys you can maybe argue for but when you're looking at locks as guys who eventually have to go up if they're going to put another number but it really has to be korea and jaguar and then if you're looking into the future then getzlaff and, and perry yeah and this team is is not an old team like the ducks have only been around for a little over a couple of yeah. decades so I mean, you don't want to start retiring players numbers exactly. just because yeah. they want a cup they got to really have a you know huge piece be a pillar of the organization and korea was just slotted with, uh, you know, guys past their prime his entire career in Anaheim. That you know, the, when they were owned by Disney, they didn't bring anybody formidable to play with him uh, to help him win a cup. Um, they basically drove that uh, that team all the way through on the back of Jaguar until the final, where Jaguar pretty much didn't, you know, played average, and then they were beaten. So I think Korea deserves it, but I mean, if you're going to look beyond that, I, like you said, Jiggy, and then let's hold off a bit. Let's 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 pump the brakes a bit on whose numbers we're retiring. Yeah, and I think when we talk about Korea, I, I think, you know, with the concussions and everything, we kind of have to briefly talk about the concussions in, in hockey. And we see how it's affecting the NHL and how a lot of a lot of young football players or a lot of parents are deciding not to put their kids into football anymore. And do you think this eventually shifts and makes its way to hockey? And really, in, in the whole aspect, how does the concussion situation going to affect the NHL? Um, that's a great question, man, because CTE is, uh, is not very well understood other than it's, you know, it's traumatic brain injury and it, and it, and it, it has been appearing in the, in the NHL and the NFL from, uh, repeated, you know, head trauma. So that makes, makes sense for people to be worried about it. Um, my daughter plays ice hockey. I mean, granted girls hockey is not, you know, a checking league, but it's still physical. Um, if I had a son, I, I would not have a problem putting him in hockey, but football, I would, for whatever reason, I feel like football, they, they like to hit and drive with their head more, so maybe they're going to change that. Plus, the equipment is a little bit different, so it's a little scary. But uh, as, as, as far as it coming over to the NHL, I don't think it's ever going to be as bad. Um, obviously, I'm not a doctor or a scientist and have any information on that, but I just feel the way football is played nowadays is the cause for most of the traumatic head injury, whereas the NHL is not. Yeah, and I think taking one of the things that Korea said in that interview too is it that they still exist. Those hits still exist in the NHL and they don't have yeah. to. And I think this goes back to what you said about about them liking the violence in hockey and maybe not so much as the, I know they want to eliminate headshots from the game and obviously they want to they're focusing on player safety, but those are almost always going to exist if the NHL continues to go in the direction they're going. There's really no effort to really take those out of the game. Obviously, the game's gotten faster, and the role of enforcers has been almost completely run out of the game. But you still see these hits, and with these hits still in the game, you're going to still see issues with concussions, and you're going to see guys' careers end early from concussions. And you got to look at the best, one of the best players in the league, Sidney Crosby. How many more concussions can Sidney Crosby take before his career ends early? And and how much of a a nightmare and, and a detriment to hockey is that going to be if a guy of his caliber uh, has to retire early because of concussions? I mean, not just hockey, but his life. What is what's yeah. his standard of living going to be at thirty years old? And uh, that's I mean, he's had plenty of headshots in his career, and he's only thirty, and he went headfirst into the boards. 
um, in the playoffs last year. That was really scary. Um, and he <laughs> didn't get, he didn't miss a game, right? Or maybe he missed yeah. one. I'm trying to think back on that, but yeah, that's, that's, that's scary stuff. Concussions are, uh, not a hundred percent understood. So I think that's why people, um, you know, still are like, oh, it's not proven this or that. But I mean, look, we do know that, re- that repeated head trauma causes problems and it's a scary situation in the NHL. I feel that they should they, they should do uh, their due diligence and crack down harder on those types of hits. It's like Korea said, they're still in the game and and they're needless. They don't need to be in there. I mean, the, I don't know if you remember the hit he took from I think it was Patrick Coletta when he played yeah. St. Louis, yeah. and that was like his last concussion. It looked like nothing, but it was an elbow to the back of the head, and for what? Yeah, for and, nothing. And what I'm glad to see is you don't see those types of you see the hits, but you don't always see those types of players much in the NHL anymore. And I think that's moving in the right direction you don't see those typical enforcers much anymore um but it's still there's still the element of it it's still there in some sense oh the violent part of it oh for yes sure. the violent. Right. you don't see the guys who are set out there to play violent you have to almost it's a dumb thing to say but you almost have to play hockey now you actually have to be able to play hockey you can't just go out there and fight anymore that's sort of been removed from the game but the wouldn't you rather have that though you I mean you want to roll four lines i think that's a great place for the nhl to be moving to is, is yeah exactly. you need to have four four lines you can play hockey sure you want to you want to be a power forward to be nick Ritchie. you can put pucks in that and, and and also punch you in the face if you want to go i'm okay with that yeah um it's the it's the dirty hits i think that are causing the problems you know i, I mean i always look back at a hit like um that happened with with uh was it david booth when he was in florida got just completely yeah. blindsided by Mike Richards when he played with Philly. That was just a brutal hit. Uh, the hit that Matt Cook had on Savard in Boston. That Those kinds of things you're not seeing very often anymore, yeah. which is a good thing. But that element is still there, and, and yeah. like you said. Um, but everyone's got to play hockey now, and I like that. It makes the game faster and more exciting and hopefully cuts down on those kinds of plays. Yeah, and I mean, it, and the science itself is moving in a good direction. I, there was an article I read on NBC uh, I think it was a couple days ago, how the, a study out of Boston University has found that they can actually identify CTA, CTE in living players now. So it looks like everything seems to be moving in the right direction. It's just when everything gets implemented, and, and hopefully in the meantime, no other players have to end their career early and like Paul Korea had to. No, 100%. And that's, that's exciting news to look forward to. That way they can identify any kind of indicator early on that. Um, I only saw a blip on a headline about that. Did you did you see anything about how they were doing it or how close they were to making that like a, a thing where they're going to be able to do it now? Or is it just something in the work? Yeah, I, I read the article briefly. I believe it's something in the works. It's not out yet, but the, they, they feel it's possible now because before you could only uh, study the, the effects of CT or, or see if it was present in, in an autopsy after the, the person has been deceased. So I think it's that they understand that it's possible now and so that's moving in the right direction in that in that sense anything you can do to keep the players safe i'm for exactly yeah and and i think finishing off here we should probably probably focus on something that's a little bit more upbeat um i I don't know if everybody saw this but it it was something funny that kind of was circulating twitter um during the week it was uh, versace has a sweater up for 1500 canadian dollars on their website um (laughs) for a sweater that eerily looks similar to the retro Vancouver Canucks jersey. And I, if any of you haven't seen this, you have to look it up because it's not even that it's sort of close. It's pretty much the exact same thing. I believe you've seen this. What do you What do you think of it? It's ugly. 
Um, and, and when you said that you wanted to end something on a funny note, I thought you were going to bring up Matt Duchesne's media day picture, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <we laughs> that's pretty much that. only funny for everybody but him. Uh, that I don't even know what the fallout is on that with Versace. I don't know if they have to to not sell it, but that thing is not only ugly, but that who's going to pay fifteen hundred and twenty five dollars for that? Um, it's it looks like it should glow in the dark, <laughs> like the way that yellow is. It should glow in the dark. And how well, dare they tarnish that that the Canucks jersey? That's the best jersey the Canucks have ever had. What I'm wondering too is is how is this not? I mean, it's not their logo now, but this this has to violate some kind of trademark or something, does it not? Like the likeness is, is there, right? Yeah, I'm, oh, it's it's literally they've taken Canucks and put Versace on there and changed the black <laughs> and to white <laughs> and yeah, tilted it a little bit to the left. I mean, it's exactly the same, and they're charging fifteen hundred dollars for a sweater. I don't know anybody in my life who's ever spent fifteen hundred dollars on a sweater. But no. <laughs> I would go out and probably you could probably find a retro Canucks jersey for three hundred dollars, and you can cut the sleeves off, and you can call it you can just call it the exact same thing. So <laughs> it, it's oh, this thing ridiculous. is gross, man. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that of the old Canucks jersey too, but uh, it's it's just like hysterical it. how much of a, a ripoff it it is. It it's not even like they subtly tried to hide it. It's it's literally the exact same thing. Yeah, and the comments that I was reading, they said the Canucks and uh, Versace uh, could not immediately be reached for comment. So that was the last <laughs> I heard about it. So I don't know if, yeah. if anything's going to happen by it. But that, Probably not, I think but it's, it's horrific. great. Yeah, it, it's just a, a great thing. And you, sometimes these things come up, and, and usually, to be honest, the guys like Bar, at Bar Down for TSN and, and, and uh, Barstool Sports are usually the guys who, who get this going on Twitter. But it, it's always funny to see something like this comes up. It kind of breaks the, the tension in between some of the, the harder topics surrounding the NHL. Oh, 100%, man. Uh, yeah, for sure. But anyway, Patrick, thanks so much for coming on. I think we've exhausted pretty much everything we've we've had to talk about today. Um, if you guys get a chance, you, you got to go check out their podcast, uh, the Puck Guys podcast. It, it's a great listen. So you know, if you listen to us, you got to go listen to them too. All right, thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on, Eddie and Mike. I know I'm not Mike, but thanks for letting <laughs> me fill in. Yeah, and, uh, I hope you guys, guys still listen. That Mike's not not on to he's he's enjoying his vacation in Italy. So we decided to record it without him because yeah, how dare he take vacation? <laughs> you know, right before the season, like I told you, man, you don't do that. <laughs> well, to be fair, he was going to come on, but he has no mic. So I'm going to take that as, oh. as a probable excuse that he's just enjoying his time in Italy with his wife. So I'm I can't gonna, blame him on that. Plus, the uh, time change is probably brutal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, an, enough heart that he, he, he really did want to come on and, and do this podcast. But I think he, you know, with all the work he's done with Ducks and Pucks, he deserves a break. And, and oh, really, for sure. I'm just teasing him. Yeah, exactly. And I really hope you guys enjoyed this podcast without Mike. And we'll see you guys next week. And hopefully the Ducks do get a win in, in their first um, first few games of the season and me and Mike will hopefully be back next week uh, to review those first few games for you. Um, as always, let's go Ducks! The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup team.